This is Dr. Lakata, and you are with what? The Neuro Noodle Podcast? Welcome to Neuro Noodles Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast featuring tech legend Jake Gunkelman. He is the man who has read well over a half a million brain scans. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The Neuro Noodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Like our gold supporter, Applied Neuroscience, and our silver supporter, Mind Media. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neuroscience's NeuroGuide Workshop March 4th and 5th in Madeira Beach, Florida. It's led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person, with the link AppliedNeuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. Mind Media get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from MindMedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see, and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit MindMedia.com now. Dr. Lakata. My Sue's son, brother, welcome to the Neural oh. Podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Oh, yeah. We saw each other, what, in October? October in uh, sunny Susan. Susan City. <laughs> yeah. No, we had a great time. It was fantastic. It was great meeting everybody there. And uh, you and I got to spend some time outside of the lecture hall. It was It was a good time. I don't know if it was outside yeah. lecture hall or right next to the bar. Either way. <laughs> well, you know, you know, they're they're very close to each other. <laughs> uh, you know, the lot the yacht club here uh, ends up structuring itself just perfectly for the organization. So uh, ha- having a bar in the back and a spot for people to chill out and um and, and you know, it fit everybody just fine. Uh, Seventy people with enough room to not feel crowded and enough through throughput fresh air to keep it from being you know uh, too much of an indoor super spreader event and luckily nobody caught anything except for one person the last day went out to a bar and the next morning sunday morning didn't feel well didn't come into the group just basically packed up and went home and then tested positive so that's right um, that's right but you know and they should have just stayed at the yacht club that night no it was a fantastic time i look forward to next year and um you know talk about condensing huge amounts of information and insight into uh three or four days it was uh, invaluable so you um, gotta you gotta catch this year's um dirk de ritter md phd neurosurgeon uh, will be there and he's awfully sharp and does neurofeedback and everything I mean, <laughs> all the way to yeah. cutting and implanting and things like that. Um, and so will Martine Arns uh, from uh, from Europe. So uh, I I think we're going to have a stellar keynote group, and um, and they're fun people. So I, absolutely, I think you're going to have a good time. Please yeah. tell our listeners and watchers, <laughs> you're in California, vital head and spine. Please tell us about yourself. Yeah, sure. I'll I'll make it quick. Um, so it's we're now Vital Brain Health. Um, for the last uh, fifteen years or so, um, 
we were uh, focusing on concussions, uh, chronic pain, and migraines uh, using a specialized form of chiropractic that um, focused on the base of the brainstem. And so it was called NUCA. And so we influenced uh, blood flow, cerebral spinal fluid flow, proprioceptive, mechanoreceptive input in and out of the brain. So that was a big deal. And we did that for many years. Um, about five years ago, we started um, partnering with the company that was doing some neurofeedback and brain mapping for our concussion cases. And long story short, um, after about a year of doing that, um, I discovered immense value in brain mapping and immense value in understanding what was going on with our concussion cases and you know why no two concussions are the same and why some people had you know dizziness and vertigo and other people had you know massive anxiety and other people were you know all of a sudden becoming adhd and so um uh, the brain mapping helped us understand um how to kind of approach it and then how to create a, a, an ad hoc team of interprofessionals to kind of you know, solve that individual's issue. So um, that's what introduced me to this. Um, and then shortly after that, I partnered actually with uh, Andrew Hill in Los Angeles, and he helped us get set up in our office. And um, we started doing um, brain mapping ourselves. We started um, going from one room to two rooms to three to four. We now have uh, um a phenomenal team in Los Angeles, and we do neurofeedback, neuromodulation, neurostimulation. And um, about a year and a half ago, maybe close, yeah, about a year and a half ago, I met Jay. I nagged the heck out of him, and I started um, asking for a session or two where we can sit down and look at EEGs. And then that turned into Tuesdays um, with Gunkelman. And um, then I, I wanted more. So we started doing Mondays and Tuesdays with Gunkelman. And for about a year and a half, we were doing it twice a week, looking at hundreds and hundreds of EEGs. Now here we are. So now we're doing, we're, it's, it's exclusively brain mapping and neurofeedback and neuromodulation. And we're in Los Angeles. And the last thing I would say to that is um, we see primarily, well, kids with ADHD and dysregulation. Adults with anxiety, baby boomers um, with pre-dementia or, or, you know, dementia uh, issues. And uh, we can kind of explore any of that if you want. But that's yeah, it. No. That's the short and long of well, it. I, well, I have in my notes here, sleep and attention. We, you know, with Jay, we tend to stay on the on the map for about five or ten minutes. And then it's all bets are, all bets are off. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I hear you got some pretty good slides because our, our viewers... Sorry, listeners, you got to come to YouTube and watch what's going on. It's an EEG. I hear you got a pretty good slideshow to uh, uh, bring up. Well, yeah, let's use it, and then you know we can we can we can riff in any direction we want to take it. But um, we'll we'll use this for our our visual learners, and uh, you know, because fr frankly, when I tune into your show, Pete, yeah. um, I'm usually switching pretty quickly from my podcast to YouTube. I like looking at the EGs. I like looking at the slides. And so I just want to have this available. And then I'll make the slides available at the end for, for viewers if they want as well. So, oh, very cool. All right. All right. So, um, Jay, and of course, as always, um, you know, feel free to like interrupt, you know, <laughs> tell, me, tell me where I'm wrong. You know, or, you know, or what I love the best is like, you know, let's, you know, tell me about the backstory of some of these researchers that published the research that I'm going to present on, because actually Martin Arns is one of them. So, um, all right. So here we go. So sleep attention and neurofeedback is going to be our, our conversation today. Three points. 
this this is what I hope our listeners or and our viewers take home today. Um, there's a deep relationship between sleep and attention. We're going to talk about that. Um, we're going to talk about looking at the three stages of sleep, but we're going to kind of then, you know, go pretty quickly into vigilance and sleep so we can kind of make sense about what everybody's talking about online. And then we're going to look at some brain patterns, um, some inherent brain patterns and um, how neurofeedback can help. All right. So that's going to be our, our top three. All right. And so Pete's pumping his, his fists. So, uh, yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, a good friend of mine um, introduced me to this concept. This dude was, a, I think, a Supreme Court justice or before, he, or a, a justice. He said, basically, I wouldn't give a fig for simplicity on this side of complexity, but I give my life for simplicity on the other side of complexity. Now, what does that mean? It means that we can obviously, you know, often oversimplify stuff. And, you know, we, we, we hear the talking heads on the podcast and social media, and, and they, you know, we, we oversimplify things and they don't quite match reality. Um, Jay is a master at taking really, really complex um, concepts, ideas, and bringing them back to simplicity. Um, but it's on the other side. He, 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 did, he did his homework. He did, he, did, he did the hard work. And so um, we're going to try to do that today, and, um, and we'll see how, how successful we are. When I talk with parents, they want Johnny to pay better attention. They want him to not be jumping up and down all the time. They want him to sit still in his chair. And, um, and also they'll talk about how, um, you know, Johnny has issues sleeping or, or he's, you know, he gets this big burst of energy about it at 7 PM. And then we do a brain map and we're seeing Johnny falling asleep, like at, you know, after like 40 seconds, 50 seconds sometimes. And parents don't quite yet, I think, make the connection between the two. Um, I'm going to show a couple quick, you know, studies. We're not going to go too deep into them unless Jay wants to jump into in at all. But um, one is that, um, you know, this is just kind of pointing to sleep deprivation and how it basically starts affecting attention during the day. This is showing that sleep deprivation doubled the odds of making errors and triples the number of lapses, right, in attention. Um, I'll, I'll include the links to these uh, papers afterwards, but it's like, well, wait a second. If Johnny didn't sleep well last night, the night before, the night before that, the night before that, um, Johnny's going to have a hard time paying attention and sitting still at school today and tomorrow and the next day, right? Um, here's again, you know, lapses of attention. Here we can actually start to see and predict that, you know, there'll be lapses of attention, behavioral markers of mind wandering and mind blanking with these kind of strange sleep-like slow waves, right? Um, and we're seeing how these things are, are being affected, how we're seeing more of these sleep-like slow waves during the day. And it seems like they have some influence or some relationship with what's happening and what's, what, what the kids aren't getting enough of the night before and so on, right? The last one is, um, it seems to sleep not only affects our child's attention, it seems to directly affect their learning, right? And um, and I, so Matthew Walker is a phenomenal speaker on this. And so I, I recommend that most parents go in and, and study uh, and learn from him. He wrote a book called, I think, Why We Sleep. He's a, he's a PhD out of um, UC Berkeley. And basically the long and short of it is he, he wrote this paper and this is basically understanding learning and sleep. And he uses this metaphor. He says, our, there's, a, there's an area of the brain called the hippocampus that it serves like a thumb drive in the brain. 
And if we need to get good sleep, Johnny needs to get good sleep the night before so that his thumb drive is cleared out so that he could actually have short-term memory during the day in class today, right? So sleep last night affects how well he learns today in class. And then when he goes to bed tonight, he needs, when he goes through a certain stages of sleep, certain stages of sleep, he clears out that thumb drive. He consolidates it in the brain. And then another stage of sleep, he actually integrates all that information, clears out his thumb drive so that tomorrow he's got a clear thumb drive to now take in new information, right? Sleep has a vital role with actually how Johnny learns and how he does in class. And this study, I think, yes, this study, Matthew Walker mentions, um, affected test scores. It was, they were slightly older Johnnies. I think they were, they were college students, but it affected test scores by 40%. It affected learning and learning retention by 40%, right? That's the difference between an A and an F, <laughs> right? So these are important things. And so he goes into the memory encoding, consolidation and neuroplasticity with that. Right. So great. I'll, I'll include the links and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have that available for everybody. Okay. Well, what are these sleep stages? You know, we're not going to go too deep into, you know, some of the, the neuroscience behind it. I mentioned Matthew Walker. I'm going to mention it probably two other names. Andrew Huberman is a master communicator and educator. And so, you know, go to the Huberman lab. Um, we invited him. He came and spoke to our group um, about, you know, I think it was 2019, um, where we had a group of scientists speaking to practitioners in Pasadena, and I had the privilege of, of, of moderating that conversation. And so he's just phenomenal. And so he has so much great content. Andrew Huberman is the second person. And then the third would be um, Rhonda Patrick. She's also a PhD, and she has a, another blog or, or podcast called uh, Found My Fitness. And so also three great resources. So we're not going to go too deep into this, but we're going to get a little bit nerdy on the, on the neuroscience EEG side. Okay. So we're going to kind of do this for a second. Okay. So we're going to talk about the three stages of sleep because we just learned that, okay, well, there's these stages and parents are always like, gosh, I feel guilty, you know, for a million reasons of why I'm screwing up my kid. And now I'm going to feel guilty because they're not getting enough sleep. And so uh, but first of all, like, you know, we're learning about the stages of sleep and we're going to, we learn about how they have different roles and we also have stages of being awake. And so I want to see if I can kind of translate these two things. Okay. Jay, you have a sleep tracker, don't you? Yep. You got your aura ring, right? Yep. And so I have my Garmin watch. Um, other people have their apples and, um, and we used to require all of our clients, all of our new clients to have whoops. And so sleep tracking is something that I think is really becoming more and more popular and people are starting to do it. And we usually kind of break it down into, you know, deep sleep, light sleep and REM sleep. It's kind of this simple three because we think in threes, right? One, two, three, many. <laughs> and so, so it simplifies things for us. Right. And so now I'm showing basically a, a picture of an iPhone with a, an app on it, which is the Aura app. And it says awake, light sleep, deep sleep and REM. OK, so, um, well, what does that mean and how do we start translating this? Right. Well, the light sleep and deep sleep 
is basically um, what we call non-REM sleep. So now we're getting a little bit technical. So when Matthew Walker or Andrew Huberman starts talking sleep science, correct me if I'm wrong, but they, they basically break down you know, our stages of sleep into two basic phases, non-REM and REM, right? Um, and so then we go, go and see, well, actually, um, non-REM, they used to divide it into four, but they simplified it. And so now they divide it into three. And so now we have non-REM one, non-REM two, non-REM three and REM sleep, right? And it seems like we're going through these different stages at night and we cycle through them a few times, uh, um, you know, as we go through the eight hours. And so, um, and so what we're seeing is that now, how do I translate the things that Andrew Huberman's talking about on his podcast? with my Aura Ring app, right? Well, it turns out that, you know, when it says light sleep on my Aura Ring, um, that means it's a combo between N1 and N2, non-REM one and non-REM two sleep. Okay, well, that's cool. Um, deep sleep, well, they call that non-REM three, Right. And Jay was was reminding me also before they used to call it non-REM three and non-REM four, but they were so close together. They just said, let's just consolidate it. Is that right, Jay? There are percentages of the time you saw slow waves in the EEG. Uh, three was 20 to 50 and four was over 50. They found that there wasn't any significant difference between the two as far as the impact on everything. So they combined them and N three is all you need now. You don't need to specify the percentage uh, of time you're in, uh, you have slow waves in the EEG. So, uh, yeah. you know, cut down, uh, uh, we have N1, 2, and 3. There's no N4 in modern sleep medicine. Um, if you go back a couple decades, you see a lot of stage 3, stage 4 uh, discussion, but Again, there, there wasn't any significant difference. It's great. And that's, and that, and it helps, you know, consumers and, and, and laymen and myself, you know, it, it makes sense of this stuff, right? Cause it's like, well, let's just, let's just cut it down. Um, good. And then there's REM sleep, right? And so, and then just so real quickly, um, if we go back to the Matthew Walker um, uh, study and some of the ways that he describes it, it seems like here, like real quickly with learning, it seems like memory consolidation is happening in that deep sleep, that N3, right? Um, and then it seems like actually there have been some other studies that show that like, well, if I'm learning piano, if Johnny's learning piano um, during the day, well, at night, his brain is actually reestablishing and reinforcing the motor movement of his piano lessons during light sleep, either N1 or N2 or both. And then it's in REM sleep that all of a sudden there's all that integration, right? And all of the 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 all the new creative connections that are happening, and and the replaying of those things um, is happening in REM. And so, um, so there's there's so which part of sleep is the most important, right? Which 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 sleep? If I'm only to get one, which should it be? Well, you know, everybody keeps talking about you. You need all of them. <laughs> you need all yeah. of them. Each one has a job. We're going to kind of step away from um, the, you know, our app and, you know, and now we start looking at some squiggly lines. What's interesting is that, you know, people like Jay and others are masters of the squiggly lines, but it seems like these squiggly lines seem to be kind of a primary language of sleep and wakefulness, right? Which are these EEGs, right? And so here, you know, we start seeing now how 
you know, there's theta waves are more present in slow waves during during light sleep. And then we start seeing sleep spindles and K complexes um, as well. And then we go into the, into the, the slow wave delta waves with deep sleep. And then, of course, REM seems to kind of pick back up with beta. There's a pause that I always want to make here. And, and, I, and I usually want to say, look, EEG appears to be the primary language of sleep and waking, right? It's the primary language. It's not the only language, but it's so the aura rings and the, the, the sleep apps. The reason why their technology works is because they're always comparing it to the gold standard, which is the EEG. And so somebody, th somebody thinks I'm popular. So they're going to call and they'll, they'll hang up in a second. If, if EEG seems to be the primary language, let's see if we can kind of take this a couple steps and then I'm going to let you, Jay, um, you know, run with this for a second. Um, but we've got these sleep stages, right? And we see the correlates. We can actually see this when somebody puts on their, their swimmer's cap and all of their sensors. And we can start to now measure the sleep stages, right? Um, so we see the N1, N2, N3 in REM, and we see their, their correlate squiggly lines. And again, this is on, you know, on YouTube, you'll see it. And you can, you guys can also request the slides. Um, but now we get to see, um, you know, what a lot of us in the EEG and QEEG world are looking at and think about often, which are the, the vigilant states. Well, wait a second, there's not just stages of sleep, but there's also stages of wakefulness. And, 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 and again, is it, we call it vigilance and is vigilance meaning awake? Well, you know, I mean, they're, they're, rough, they're rough translations, but they're not pure translations. But now it appears that there's actually like, there's a little bit of a spectrum of being of, of being awake and being asleep. And it seems like, again, EEG seems to be the primary language as to how we see those things, right? Jay, do you wanna, do you wanna riff on um, anything with regarding the vigilance, sleep and uh, the stages? As an approach was developed primarily um, in Europe, um, uh, its most recent um, uh, promoter was uh, Gerald Ulrich, who's a retired psychiatrist from Berlin, who wrote a book on theoretical interpretation of the EEG, focusing on the vigilance model. Uh, but um, it, it was a spinoff off of uh, Benti in the 60s, actually. Uh, but uh, um, stage A is more awake, stage B is kind of drowsy. Uh, but as we saw, you know, kids that don't sleep spend quite a bit of time in this drowsy state that's not really, you know, uh, able to focus. Stage A1, alpha's in the back of your head, prominent alpha at the back of your head. They look at the eyes closed EEG, and uh, A2, alpha has creeped up into the front, where normally if your frontal lobe has not got alpha in it, it's busy uh, doing the association cortex um, running attention and affect and motor function and uh, some forms of memory. Uh, but as it starts to have alpha in it, it's, it's going to rest. It's a resting state. So A1, the back of your head is at rest because your eyes are closed. A2, the frontal lobe has gone to rest. A3, the frontal lobe is dominant over the back. So this is a progression less and less and less vigilant, all those still awake in the alpha stages. B1 
alpha drops out, the reticular nucleus of the thalamus quits making acetylcholine. The thalamus can't make rhythmicity without the acetylcholine. So the rhythm drops out. And then theta rhythms start to build up. B2 uh, theta's up front, B3, uh, the slow content is prominent up front. And you start to see what's called vertex activity. Not a vertex sharp wave uh, of sleep, which is stage C in this model, uh, but vertex activity of drowsing. So you've gone from wide awake with alpha in the back of your head to alpha up front where you're not as, as uh, focused and attentive to alpha dropping out uh, where you're, it's hard to make a memory if you don't have an alpha rhythm going. And then theta up front and at the vertex uh, where you're actually substantially drowsy. Again, kids that don't sleep at night end up in this B2, B3 stage in school, eyes open, but nobody's home. They're, they're drowsy, basically. So uh, these stages progress. Um, you, you can uh, progress from A's all the way straight down to the B's. Sometimes people kind of vacillate with labile vigils regulation. Some people have a stable, um, rigid vigils regulation. When they close their eyes, they, they lock into the alpha state and they never, ever change. That's not proper either. Uh, you, you should uh, expect to stay generally awake for the first five minutes of a 10-minute eyes closed EEG. And the second five minutes, you expect some B stages. You don't expect to see sleep in the 10 minutes of a recording with the eyes closed. Um, in fact, in a sleep lab, if you fall asleep before five minutes in the, in the multiple sleep latency test screening, you qualify for an all-night sleep study because you've fallen asleep too fast, so fast that you can't be sleeping well at night because you're falling asleep uh, during the day precipitously. It's a precipitous descent into stage two sleep or stage C in the vigilance model. And the sleep stages are important for, for memory. And we've, you've mentioned that, but you go through multiple 90 minute sleep cycles. The early part of the night, those sleep cycles are dominated by slow wave sleep. And in slow wave sleep, your brain is producing growth hormone. And growth hormone, you get dendritic sprouts, you get dendritic spines, you get dendritic new connections. Mm -hmm. um, that growth happens, and that has to happen to lay down the substrate to play back your REM, which the last half of the night, your, your 90 minute sleep cycles are dominated by REM. And during REM, you're playing back the recollections of the day uh, through these new connections and your long-term potentiating the, the knowledge. So you've, you've essentially dumped your memory uh, in, into a brand new uh, spot that's going to end up keeping it permanently so you don't have to hold it in the short-term working memory. Working memory only has a certain capacity. And if you don't clear out your working memory by actually transferring it to long-term potentiated memory, uh, you, you end up having a capacity problem. So um, uh, proper sleep 
actually requires a number of these nine, 90 minute sleep cycles. Um, ideally, you have like six of them in a night. Um, if you restrict the total amount of sleep, you end up missing a couple of those cycles and um, you, you suffer a bit from that. If you restrict sleep, uh, it catches up with you. Jay, could you touch on that study that you've brought up before since 99, the amount of sleep that kids are not getting? Oh, sure. You know, the theta-beta ratio used to look at the amount of theta, which you can see here would be kind of assumed to be a B stage where theta comes up. Um, they look at the amount of theta and the amount of beta, and that theta-beta ratio was used in 1999 to identify uh uh, individuals that had ADD. And it was 95 to 98% accurate at identifying normal kids from ADD kids. And the, the excess theta and deficit of fast activity in the beta band was a biomarker, a neuromarker. And um, that data was accepted by the FDA. They considered it a diagnostic metric. It's a biomarker uh, for, mm -hmm. again, uh, ADD. But the thing is, since 1999, kids sleep on the average two hours less per night. And the theta-beta ratio, which used to be predictive, is no longer predictive. Gives you the same odds as flipping a coin now. And if the testing gives you no better odds than flipping a coin, save me the hookup with the electrogel and everything. Give me a coin and I'll tell you whether you're ADD or not. With a, with an, uh, the same level of accuracy, it's it's not uh, it's not any longer a diagnostic uh, metric because you can't you can't diagnose. In fact, now the normal people tested for theta beta ratio are worse than the clinical group was in 1999. Now the clinical yeah, group has gotten huge. worse as well, but you can't differentiate them because again of restricted sleep. The theory is that kids are going to bed with their uh, tablets and phones and media. And, you know, little Johnny will text um, Johnny 2 and Johnny 2 <laughs> will text Johnny 3 and they get a little group text going and your phone will beep, will wake you up. You respond, waking everybody else up. So uh, the as you're falling asleep, the media going back and forth between people ends up getting in the way. Um, and uh, um, early in the morning, um, your, your uh, email lights up with all the spam that arrives about five, six in the morning when all, all the marketers are busy from the East Coast, um, spamming people on the West Coast at five in the morning. So yeah, uh, um, yeah. you get you waken back up with beeps and lights. The quality of sleep requires good sleep hygiene, uh, which isn't taking a shower before you go to bed. I mean, you know, the, uh, um, <laughs> scrub, sleep scrub hygiene well. is, you know, uh, when was the last time you ate? Um, uh, did you eat just before you went to bed and your body's going to have to stay awake in, as a body in order to process and digest? Uh, when was, um, you know, uh, are, are you going to bed on time? Uh, yeah. Or did you stay up late, restricting the total amount of times sleep's available? There's a whole list of things that you oh, can yeah. do. Sleep hygiene, um, it's uh, huge uh, uh, tricks. And that, at, 
at that point, if you if you optimize your sleep hygiene, uh, you pay attention to the data on an Aura Ring or a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, uh, you, you can actually optimize your sleep, um, normalizing uh, disturbed uh, sleep patterns. And, you know, well, you think, well, yeah, well, 40% increase in school performance is an A to an F. Well, maybe that's really quite significant. But, you know, I'm I'm way older. I'm not in school anymore. So what the hell? I'm not going to worry about a performance on a test. But performance in life. I mean, yeah. uh, um, if you're not sleeping well, uh, the likelihood of having a traffic accidents because you were inattentive for a few seconds, um, goes way up. Uh, miss sleep, shift, uh, jump shift on shift change on a, in a in a in a industry. Uh, things like Chernobyl happen, you know. So <laughs> and, and also and also the accumulation of you know beta amyloid plaque and other metabolites because yep. we're not able to to flush the toilet of the brain every night yep. with our deep sleep right with the glymphatic yep. system with the g yeah no absolutely i mean all of those are, are huge earn up to 16 ceu hours by attending applied neurosciences neuroguide workshop march 4th and 5th in madeira beach florida it's led by none other than dr robert thatcher himself there are two ways you can attend online or in person with the link appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops and i think like you said jay in the past as well is that you know so there are these there are going to be these extrinsic these external things that influence our sleep and again you know gosh thank god we have the hoovermans and the matthew walkers and, and others of the world that are just you know like reaching millions and millions of people at a time um but they're also intrinsic um, you know, components and things that actually will, you know, they're going to influence Johnny's ability to, um, uh, to be able to sleep or not sleep, right? This, these may be the, these phenotypes that you've mentioned. That's actually where we're going to go next. If you're okay with it, Jay. Yeah. Um, um and, and picking the name Johnny is actually reasonably appropriate because in ADD, ADHD, there's a male greater than female percentage that's presented. Okay. Well, there you go. Right. Great. The next step in my thought process was, you know, there, there's also in the sleep research and, and sleep science, Jay, you're very well aware of this, is that there's this, there's this idea of a sleep-wake cycle that, that there's this, you know, ideally we go deeper into these lower stages or we're able to go through these lower stages and have good, healthy sleep um, during, you know, the nighttime so that we are more vigilant and awake during the daytime. And so the ability to seesaw and, and go up and down throughout the 24-hour cycles are kind of very helpful and useful. And so, and it seems like a lot of us and Johnny, it seems like a lot of times we're kind of hovering. We're kind of hover, they're kind of hovering in this like B1, B2, 3, C um, stage. It's not, they're, they're not getting as great sleep at night and they're not fully awake <laughs> and vigilant during the day. They're in this weird hover because they're not able to seesaw as well, right? Um, and the EEG patterns that people report in ADD, ADHD include frontal alpha, like the A3 stage of decreased yeah. vigilance, and also frontal theta. Uh, like the B stages. There's a small rare subset with beta spindling in it. Uh, the beta spindling pattern 
basically disturbs sleep. So uh, it's it's a it's a problematic pattern in and of itself. It, absolutely, and actually, that's where we're going to go next. So we start seeing that there are these patterns. There are these patterns that um, that go on with Johnny, and we're going to keep using him. But the idea again is that look, the, the, there's this language. Um, we uh, EEG continues to be this primary language that we can start to understand the wakefulness and sleep and um, and in between. At at one point, there was you had another guest on the show, Pete. He was he was talking about you know how light and, and, and EMF and other things ex external things are influencing our our, our you know our, our sleep, and and that's valid and that's wonderful. And like I said, there are other professionals and experts that are the experts in those fields. And that's why I keep bringing up some names and I'm sure there are many, many others, but you know, I'm not an expert in that. I, I, you know, four years ago, I was teaching other health professionals about sleep and, and sharing the research that was out there uh, to, you know, because I was like, Hey, I was, I felt like I was on the front end of this. Now look, people, you know, people that, that are so much better than, than, than I um, are doing this because that's their, their work and, um, and they do great with it. Um, but, you know, but my expertise, right, Jay's expertise is not so much on, you know, sleep hygiene. Thank God there's others out there. We're, we're, we're sharing the, the, the information. It's out there. But I think what we're really great at is identifying and helping the internal things, right? So here's a picture, right? We're, what are we looking at here? We're looking at maybe this is another Johnny, right? This is Johnny Five. Here's a gamer, right? He's sitting in his room. I'm assuming I'm, I'm picturing this guy. It's probably 3 a.m., He's drinking his energy drink filled with taurine and caffeine and other kinds of things that are that are that are stimulants. Um, he's got blue light like crazy shooting out of these monitors. On, you know, he's got like two or three monitors going, um, and and these are and these are video games that use neuromarketing to activate dopamine reward centers, which is addiction, uh, you know, uh, uh, adrenaline centers, like, like they're, they're designed to activate and, and create a huge amount of cortisol and adrenaline at 3am, right? Those are all external factors. Okay, that's great. But if you had a, a thousand Johnnies doing the same thing, why would it affect some maybe more than others? Like, why, why are some brains going to be more affected than others with these changes, right? And so, what we're going to look at today, and this is going to be part three, and we're going to then be, you know, wrapping this up, are the internal factors, right? Because that's what that's what I'm good at. It's, it's what it's 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 what I see every day, right? And this is what you know. Largely, it's based on a lot of of, of Jay's contribution. And so, what we call internal factors, right? Jay, and you, you know, I'll I'll give you the floor whenever you want on this. Um, is that there's there's phenotypes. There there are there there are underlying patterns that have been shown using hundreds and thousands of EEGs correlated with, with um, genetic variants and, um, and reproduced. Here's a, a study on the sleep phenotypes of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder um, and, and, and looking at, you know, basically children and phenotypes that, 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 that are present in the brain, right? Um, I'm going to look at two more, and then Jay, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, the, right, they, this... they basically expect that about 25 to 50 percent of the kids that are diagnosed with ADD actually have an underlying sleep disorder. If you actually get the sleep disorder treated, their attention problem seems to wane. And some of them have a primary disorder of vigilance, kind of like narcolepsy without the cataplexy. 
and uh, um, they 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 basically just cannot maintain uh, appropriate level of vigilance or uh, monitor their sleep. Uh, obviously, there's some of them that have uh, a delayed sleep cycle, a delayed latency. Um, they they will stay up late, but then they can't get up in the morning, uh, and that delayed circadian rhythm ends up having a high probability of having a bipolar disorder later in life. Um, you've got some people that have a breathing disorder at night. If you're not sleeping because you're not breathing and you've got to wake up to breathe, apneas or hypopneas, um, that's going to disturb your ability to stay awake during the day. Um, and quite a few people that can't stay awake during the day end up having respiratory problems at night. Uh, again, apnea is either obstructive or central. Uh, central apnea, your brain is not telling your body to breathe. And that's very serious. You have to end up on a breathing device to, to keep your breathing at night so that you can actually sleep. Some people have restless leg syndrome or periodic leg movement, and that uh, obviously can keep you awake as well. And then there's a yeah. percentage that actually have epilepsy. They, they have con, you know, convulsions or epileptiform discharges that disturb their sleep at night. There's something called ESES electrographic mm -hmm. status epilepticus of sleep. We've actually had very good success with that kind of epilepsy, which is quite often considered an, an intractable form of epilepsy. Uh, we have very good success uh, training people uh, to uh, escape the uh, seizures and medications that are required to control the seizures as well. In fact, yeah. uh, no, and, and, and in fact, you and I have worked on a case over this last year of small child that has this and also you know we've seen dramatic improvements over the last yeah. year with 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 him as well one little case that we we did a video on uh to, to kind of promote the idea of of the this kind of a treatment for epilepsy was the case maggie uh, from up in the detroit area she's now mm -hmm. seizure free and medication free for seven years so this wasn't a temporary effect and uh, they, they were paying over a thousand dollars a month for the copay of one of her medications mm -hmm. so not having to uh, worry about uh, uh, SUDEP sudden death from epilepsy SUDEP um, and not having to pay thousand plus dollars a month or, um, uh, the relief of the mental stress um, the, the family stress um, uh, the, and 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 the progressive, you know, brain damage that comes yeah. from ESCS, because that's yep. something that that was, you know, that we've observed over time as well with other clients. And yep. so, yeah, no, it's um, it's it's huge. Yeah, so we're very very happy to see, uh, um, yes, yeah, seven years of positive outcome without any uh, regression. Now, it's not like she didn't have things happen uh, when she was a year and a half. She had a, a shunt put in. Uh, for, because of uh, high pressure uh, in her ventricles. And uh, after we uh, treated her with uh, the neurofeedback, or she learned the neurofeedback and um, uh, stopped having seizures, uh, her shunt failed. And uh, she, she ended up having a high fever and was hospitalized. They had her on a seizure watch. They, they assumed that she was going to have a seizure. I mean, history of uh, intractable epilepsy and a fever and you're going to go in and replace the shunt that, you know, you know they, they mm -hmm. kind of expected nothing. It, you know, she, she, she went through that with no, uh, uh, no seizures whatsoever. And um, so, and, and was that, 
and, and was and was the, the the neurofeedback similar to what we were doing here with our case, which was yeah. primarily SMR training? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, sensory yeah. motor rhythm SMR uh, is the name Barry's German applied to uh, the the signal. It's the same thing as a sleep spindle. Mm-hmm. Same generator, a uh, little bit of a different distribution because the projection pathways during sleep are a little bit more wide open. Uh, but it, it's it's basically a, a sleep pattern, and you can enhance it as a stabilizing agent during the day. Uh, the 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 sleep spindle happens right after a vertex wave. In stage two, as you're starting to fall asleep, stage two is a deeper than stage one, just before slow wave sleep, and you, you get a vertex wave, which is the brain's response to a stimulus. And as soon as the brain responds to that stimulus, it, it will either wake you up or you're going to have a sleep spindle, which is a stabilizing agent, and it will continue to drift off into slow wave sleep. Well, without, uh, without a good SMR during the day, you won't have a good sleep spindle at night. And right. if you don't have a good sleep spindle at night, you're going to not get to your slow wave sleep. You're going to bounce back up awake. You have difficulty with sleep onset and wakefulness, insomnia. So SMR can be trained for people that have beta spindles and difficulty with sleep onset and wakefulness, and it helps stabilize them uh, for their sleep. It also helps stabilize during the day for seizures and uh, things such as that. So SMR training ends up having positive impact on your quality of your sleep. Uh, There's actually an enhancement of semantic and declarative memory performance after you learn SMR, uh, which again, helps with the quality of your sleep. And obviously that assists us with sleep with memory. Yep, and we have the the EEG phenotypes, which uh, you're also on this one um, for for outcome uh, predictions. I don't know if you want to speak to that. Well, we... um, Right after I published about the uh, the phenotype model of, of uh, things, I, I was invited to do a talk uh, over in Europe by Martin at his office. I walked in the door, he had 49 ADD kids data and 49 match controls pulled out of the Australian database. And I had to go through and phenotype each of the uh, studies. And uh, in the phenotype model, it predicted that one phenotype, anterior uh, uh, rhythmic slow activity, would be a would be a positive predictor of the the response to methylphenidate, and they already knew which one of these kids had responded positively to methylphenidate. Um, they were looking to see whether the phenotype model would predict accurately, and we did predict quite accurately who responded to methylphenidate after um, our outcome, they offered that data set to anybody um, who could make a better guess as to who might respond to methylphenidate. Um, and uh, they offered $5,000 reward. Now, I didn't get $5,000 uh, for, for the original work. Um, but uh, uh, the, this was uh, Martin Arns uh, believed that the phenotype model, which got away from the DSM and just looked at biomarkers basically mm-hmm. was a, a way to um, focus on treatment 
um, uh, there were appropriate treatments matched up with the phenotypes. If you had this pattern, you got that treatment. The phenotypes are genetically linked patterns. Rather than basing your treatments on somebody's behavioral re report, the DSM-based uh, uh, approach, which doesn't predict accurately what will treat somebody, um, the, the phenotype model gets away from the DSM and using biomarkers predicts effective treatment. So he, he saw that as a major step and uh, started immediately doing validation studies like this one uh, when I walked in to do my first lecture for him. My next lecture, I had 126, I think, or 123 depressives and the same number of match controls. Um, we phenotyped those. We actually looked at the inter-rater reliability on the phenotyping. Uh, Martine had read my paper on phenotypes, which had no samples of EG, just description, which EG doesn't get described very well with words, I have to say. <laughs> Um, it goes up and down and up and down, you know, so um, <laughs> as it goes across, sometimes the page, fast, sometimes slow. So, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, we had a, a, a better than 90% accuracy uh, inter-rater reliability, which is a, a, a you know, there's statistics, uh, 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 Cohen's statistic that ends up uh, doing a, a, a statistical job on that um, inter-rater reliability. And EG, has a difficult diagnostic inter-rater reliability. But this isn't diagnosis, it's just categorization. We're not trying to say right. something is normal or not normal. We're right. just saying, oh, there's frontal alpha. Oh, right. there's frontal theta. Oh, there's a paroxysm. Um, and th these are simple observations. Uh, I, I sometimes suggest that I could probably teach a pigeon to heck at the patterns. and. Um, uh, uh, they're very simple well, patterns, and, and there, that's why there's are, hope for me. There, there are <laughs> there, there are people using AI to try to identify the phenotypes. Um, yeah, uh, the, yeah. The, this this is a, a kind of a, a, a current uh, um, a attempt at this point to uh, uh, to let me retire without <laughs> having to look at EG anymore. Huh? Uh, uh, anyway, they're 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 trying to automate. Um, uh, the the phenotype sorting. No. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and the automation of it will be very helpful for you know, I mean, multiple things, including practitioners, yeah. um, yep. to be able to do it so that we can do our job better. And also, if you so haven't seen can... five hundred thousand records already, uh, you're yeah. not as good. So, right. Uh, um, and if you've only seen a thousand, you're not as good as somebody who's seen ten thousand. So, you know, it it helps if you get something that automates it. The vigilance model, for instance, is automated. The vigil, the uh, vigilance algorithm uh, is 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 already automated. You can uh, have ten minutes of eyes closed EEG, and it'll go second by second by second and tell you what what vigilance states you were in. So yes, uh, yes, uh, and, it does happen. And you, yeah, and you know, I think a big takeaway for me and maybe for parents as well who are listening to even you know this slide itself is also just understanding that you know you can you can get a lot of insight into Johnny's tendencies right Johnny's you know and whether you want to use neurofeedback or you want to use medication or you like 
you now have some insight as to which direction and which tools to use yep. because you you understand what's going on with Johnny specifically, um, independent of you know his or his or her yeah. um, you, um, you know sleep hygiene, right? So, and I think this is probably one of the you know you have many contributions, Jay, but you know this phenotype uh, model has been phenomenal, phenomenal. Um, you know, and again, this is also going you know, through visual stabilization, through sleep spindles, circadian networks. This is also with uh, Martine Arns. One of the All things right. that Martine found is that if somebody's not sleeping well, there are therapies that won't work until they are sleeping well. And this includes TMS, you know, the, the big magnet, $250,000 mm. device or $100,000 device if you find an inexpensive one. You put it on the head and you zap the brain with a big electromagnet and uh, can force the brain to discharge. Uh, they can use that for obsessive compulsive disorder at the anterior cingulate with the right kind of coil, double clone coil or an H coil. And at that point, uh, it, um, treat the uh, obsessive compulsive disorder if they're getting good sleep. If they're not sleeping, it's a waste of time. Uh, you're, yeah. you're not going to have an effective outcome treat the sleep disorder, then do the TMS, and it's going to be effective. And that's, again, work by Martine Arns. Uh, Martine uh, 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 took to heart um, uh, a, a question uh, in 2005 uh, in Berlin uh, when uh, uh, Dirk de Ritter uh, was, was uh, at a party. Um, uh, Barry Sturman uh, assigned Martina and I to make sure Dirk got back to the hotel and uh, uh, you know, bit, <laughs> bit, bit, very headed home a little earlier. And mm -hmm. as we were chatting with, with Dirk, Dirk uh, turns to Martina and I says, so do you guys drive a car? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, well, do you have a driver's license? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, do you have a PhD? And Martine took that to heart. Martine had, you know, he was a, a therapist. He had a clinic but he was a master's degree and uh, he got his PhD. His PhD dissertation included the um, uh, phenotype prediction uh, for stimulant and depression. And he, he had like five PhDs all rolled into one. I, I always hmm. tell the students to trim down what you're trying to do with your PhD, leave some neuroscience for the next guy. You know, <laughs> somebody else is gonna have, have a PhD after you don't solve the world's entire problem in one, you know, but he, yeah. he, he had, he had one of those that you would have told him to, you know, pick one out of the five and do it and actually graduate instead of trying to finish all five and never getting out of school. But Martin is uh, very, very efficient in turning out his research. And uh, he, he turned out a PhD dissertation, which you can download from his brain clinics. Uh, website. Uh, he, he's continued to impress me as one of the most prolific researchers uh, 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 that I've that I I have as a as a close friend. I know that there's some people that crank out research like he does, but I I don't know them. So um, he he's a unique uh, uh, character, very uh, very productive, uh, uh, just a, a generally nice guy too. You know, this is just going to kind of, I think, summarize some of what, you know, we've been talking about today. And, and we'll just, it just presents some visuals for parents so that they can kind of translate a lot of these big words that we're using. Um, and so, again, if we're looking at a brain, um, you know, what we're, what we're saying here is that 
in in an in an ideal world, um, Johnny or Jane are able to go through deeper stages of sleep and, and over you know eight hours of time cycle through their ninety minute sessions, do all the, the physiological uh, changes and mechanisms that need to occur, and then when they're awake, they're able to be fully awake and be in the higher states of vigilance, and they're able to go through this nice beautiful seesaw, right? Fully asleep and do and in a very healthy way and then fully awake. One issue that a lot of um, our kids are having is that they're not necessarily going too deep and in, in, they're not able to have very strong sleep and they're not able to have very strong vigilant wakefulness. That's one of the issues, right? That, that's the one that we're spending the most time on today. And so, um, and we're also talking about how, well, you know, there's external and internal contributors to that fact. And the external are the ones that some of these other professionals are probably the experts on, like Huberman and, and, and Matthew Walker and others. But there's the internal. And, that, and, and we get to be, you know, we happen to be, um, uh, uh, we have some expertise in this. And so these are some of the phenotypes, some of the patterns, Jay, that you've been mentioning, right? There's, there's some frontal alpha. We can see that. And I'll, I'll give you time to kind of riff on both of these and frontal beta spindles. Um, and there's also low voltage alpha and there's fast alpha speed, which is, you know, what, what I want to do is just kind of give you some time and some space to kind of speak into this and have a visual for a parent who's, you know, on YouTube who, you know, is like, what, you know, low voltage who, right? So now they can kind of have something to kind of attach that to. So Jay, I'll let you run with it. Sure. You know, um, if you have fast alpha, you have a higher sampling rate, which is good for uh, being bright and sharp and having great semantic and declarative memory, but you also have a high arousal level. So the four swing is you're bright and sharp and you perform well, really well in memory tasks. The back swing is what gets you, not the four swing. Just to interrupt you. When, when I, I always joke and I say it's not that fun kind of arousal, right? You're talking about like fight or flight. It's not like sexual arousal. Is that is that correct? Just correct that's, me if I'm wrong. Correct. Or else uh, I've we're, been, we're talking okay. about great, great, great. Uh, uh, level of vigilance arousal, uh, not not not, uh, not hedonic. Uh, okay, so, so so more so, more like they're like they're they're just kind of stress. They're more in a fight or yeah. flight as their yep. baseline, right? As their normal baseline. Okay, good, good. Just wanted so to clarify. Being being bright but being so overroused that you can't function well. Um, uh, low voltage EEGs uh, quite often are metabolic. Uh, if you have a dif difficulty with methylation, you can't generate the voltage that your brain needs to actually function well. Uh, beta spindles. If they're in the central area, it's physical over arousal. But if they're, uh, uh, and, and that's a difficulty with insomnia, sleep, the mm. CZ beta spindle. But if the beta spindles are up front, it's impulsivity, hyperactivity. If the frontal lobe is full of alpha, instead of doing the normal attentional and affective and motor regulation that it's supposed to do, it's idled and it doesn't regulate um, attention, it doesn't regulate affect. Um, it doesn't regulate motor function properly. And the frontal lobes are important for some subtle motor function that we may not necessarily think of as frontal always. The frontal mm -hmm. eye fields, you know, visual accommodation and convergence, the ability not to say which direction the E is pointing on the chart, that's acuity, but actually the ability to converge your eyes on an object and focus properly and move across a page and read. 
so it's the, the ability of the eyes to do the work uh, of, uh, of, uh, of the eyes, not just be able to see accurately uh, what direction the E is pointing on a chart. It's not 20-20 vision. It's the ability of the eyes to actually do the work of reading and assessing. So the, the frontal eye fields regulate accommodation and convergence, the ability to focus the eyes and, 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 and use them to look around. Um, so the, um, the frontal lobes are really important. And uh, with poor sleep, um, you know, the frontal lobes are not just going to have alpha. They're going to start to have theta uh, in them as well mm -hmm. because of starting to essentially be eyes open drowsy. So um, yeah. uh, the EG patterns give us insight into how to tweak the system to make it operate yes. properly. We can right. teach you to slow down your alpha. We can teach you SMR to counter the beta spindles. We can uh, uh, suppress the alpha and, and teach you faster frequencies. Um, uh, we, we can work with other things to end up increasing the voltage. Um, there's, sometimes there's a methylation issue and you actually uh, need a, a pharmacological intervention. Uh, methyl B12 uh, injections are not uncommon, but just B1, B3, B6, B12, uh, exercise, um, yeah, aerobic exercise ends up helping with uh, underlying voltage in, in the brain. But we, we can intervene if we see these patterns in order to help normalize or perhaps a better term, optimize the brain function. Right. Right. Normal is normal is fine, but optimum is better. You know, a yes. normal normal grade in school is a C. Mm, not so optimal, but normal. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, and, and you don't know optimal until you know your map. Right. And yep. I think that's kind of, that's a, another uh, I'm just gonna keep banging the same drum, right? Because it just informs so much of my own life, right? If you know, you won't even know what's optimal for you until you, you get a map and yeah. now you can create a strategy, right? So there is, there is an order of operation that I think often gets missed. Otherwise we, we just start reaching for tools, right? We just yeah. start try, going for things or we, we even start doing, you know, neurofeedback on areas. And, but if we don't understand the brain, we don't understand what, what, what's dysregulated in me then my game plan will will be you know vastly different than what's going to be dysregulated in Pete, right? His yep. his journey is going to be a lot shorter than mine, right? So there's there's no such thing as a standard protocol. Correct. You, 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 yeah. you don't have standard brains, so you don't get a standard uh, protocol. We have to look, uh, find out what's going on, and figure out how to how to rebalance things uh, properly. And the higher the performance uh, that the person is trying to achieve, the more likelihood that they're going to have to have tune-ups. You know, if you go to Indianapolis, they tune those cars multiple times a day. Elite athletes, if you're not sleeping really well as an elite athlete, you don't get your growth hormone and you don't recover from the wear and tear of the workout. So you get little micro tears in your muscle that ends up being a muscle strain that puts you down. Uh, yeah. You don't remember uh, from REM uh, what the coach told you the day before. Um, mm. So, you, you know, you're, you can't be an elite athlete if you don't have elite brain operation. Um, uh, simply messing up your sleep is enough to take you out of the top 1%. Yeah. And no, absolutely. Uh, 
we've actually worked with the Australian Institute for Sports with SMR training for elite athletes that had insomnia, which was a very common complaint. They identified that as a common complaint for their athletes. And they came to us and we, we designed the SMR protocol. They actually did the study, um, uh, had a control group, you know, uh, actually did sleep studies on them. Um, they, they got much better performance from the people that learned the SMR. They, they subjectively reported their sleep to be better. They objectively measured their sleep to be better using Actigraph, which is kind of like a Fitbit for sleep labs. And um, so they knew uh, that it benefited them. At this point, if there's a complaint of insomnia, they don't do the research anymore. They basically just assign SMR for the, for the elite athlete. You know, there's this relationship between these brain patterns and sleep, right? Frontal, you know, yep. frontal beta spindles are going to create impulsivity. They're going to, they're going to activate, um, you know, they're, they're going to affect regulation, but it'll also throw off your sleep. And yep. so we see that there's this kind of downward reinforcing spiral that occurs when you have these inherent brain patterns that get make it amplified with poor sleep, but they're gonna, but they're actually contributing to the poor sleep as as a whole as well, right? And so with yeah. the neurofeedback, again, we're we're assuming it's neurofeedback or neuromodulation because that's what this this podcast is about. But with that, we get to start to flip that curve. We get to be we create this upward spiral. We we get to improve the beta spindling, which is going to help with their impulsivity, which is also going to in turn help them sleep better, right? And so we see yeah. this beautiful relationship getting restored, whereas before that, you know, th there was this reinforcement uh, in the negative direction, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's it's really impressive to be able to see people make a a, a turnaround uh, in, in their life trajectory. Um, you know, the epilepsy is a really dramatic one. I mean, uh, um, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, intractable epilepsy where you're having hundreds of seizures a day. Uh, your your life trajectory doesn't have exactly lift. I mean, you're going to bump along on the ground. You're not going to take off. I mean, this is it's a ruined life. Um, but you can train them to not have them and uh, the, turn their life around. Um, uh, turn it into a happy young child that ends up having normal life experiences. Uh, if intractable epilepsy, you can't go swimming without somebody being right there because you have a seizure in the water, you can die. Um, yeah, so you, you can do normal life things, uh, uh, hang upside down on the monkey bars without worrying about, you know, falling and hitting your head, uh, any more than anybody else might, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's so anyway, it, it's, it, it sounds it's, almost too good to be true, Jay. It sounds, you know, when I hear myself saying these things to people, and again, I'm just going to qualify this because, because again, we always have to. You know, we don't diagnose, you know, seizures or epilepsy. We don't treat seizures or epilepsy, but we can see brain patterns that are associated with it. And we can we can train the brain to become more stable. And and and, and that's all we do. Right. But yeah. we see the, the effect of it and the effect of it is transformational. And, and I agree, Jay. I mean, I haven't been doing this nearly as long as you. Um, but, you know, if, in even the last five years, I mean, we've seen now dozens and dozens and dozens of cases with seizures and epilepsy. And and to be, to begin to see the trajectory of that child's life begin to come back online, and they begin to to be able to do the normal things again, and their identity begins to to get reestablished again, right? Yeah. Um, they, they 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 become more of themselves, and, and that's just so gratifying. If you can turn around epilepsy 
that's considered intractable, where they want to do a brain surgery to stop the epilepsy. If you can turn that around to be a successful optimized function, ADD, depression, OCD, <laughs> these things are a piece of cake by comparison. It, it's astounding how much the brain can self-regulate, the plasticity. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, plastic sounds like a bad thing nowadays, but plasticity is, is malleable or reformable. Um, the brain that can uh, recreate its connections and uh, change how it functions. Um, it, it's astounding uh, yeah. to see the extent of self-regulation that the brain can do with a little bit of help with some feedback. And yeah, um, it's a driver's training course for the brain. And yeah, and I, and I, and I agree. And I, and I always say, you know, to parents, I say, I'm so grateful that your child's brain is so much smarter than I am. Right. <laughs> I, I, so, so, yep. you know, there, you know it, we, we take it for granted that um, our brains and our bodies are, but especially our brains are self healing and self organizing. Mm -hmm. They need help. There's limitations to matter. There's, there, there are things that, that, that we're born with that, that, that 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 are inherently li limiting but there is so much potential that's sitting there and that with a little bit of help like you say i'm just reiterating and echoing what you're saying jay is that with a little bit of help we get to help the brain reorganize better and self and become more efficient and more effective right yeah. but ultimately again and, and this this is like such a major passion and driver for me is that you get to see the child become more of who they are Right. Yeah. We're not distorting them. We're not manipulating them. We're not training them to be somebody they're not. They become more fully integrated beings uh, and more of themselves come back online. That's just so cool. Right. It's kept me in this field for 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. And me in three. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Licata, if, if somebody's in Pasadena, California, and they want to drop by, how can they learn a little bit more about you? The easiest thing, vitalbrainhealth.com backslash noodle. Um, noodle. I, I would say that that's the yes, yes. We'll create, we'll share our slides. Um, we'll share this. I'll share this slide, this slide deck. That's probably the easiest way to get a okay. hold of us. Um, but if they are, they, you know, if they want to get a consultation or brain map, greater LA area, you know, and, you know, we have people fly in to see us. We have people, um, you know, that drive one, two hours at a time each way to see us. But there are so many great neurofeedback practitioners around, um, you know, just reach out. We'll, we'll connect to you. Dr. Licata, great job. Jay Gonkelman, as usual. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Like our gold supporter, Applied Neuroscience, and our silver supporter, Mind Media. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neuroscience's NeuroGuide Workshop March 4th and 5th in Madeira Beach, Florida. It's led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person, with the link appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. MindMedia, get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from mindmedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see, and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit mindmedia.com now.